Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Okay, well, we're continuing with the series which is on revival, which is helping us for our prayer tonight. And tonight we have a guest, although Paul Reed is so often here with us. We make sure we get him in every year. He's part of our international advisory board who are coming in in a few weeks. That's Jeff Lucas, Kemi Kellyoso, and Paul Reed. And they ask us questions and they look at our strategy and vision. And if ever you've got any big issues that we can't deal with locally, we'll draw on that international advisory board. Paul was the founding pastor of CFC, Christian Fellowship Church in Belfast, a church that pioneered so much by way of leadership and of in the work in the community and in the peace, in the troubles there in Northern Ireland. They were instrumental in bringing out peace and prayer together. And also, he's just become the chaplain of Linfield FC, which is the top team in the Premier League of, of, of Ireland. You don't look very impressed. He's impressed, and so am I, just to help him. So would you please welcome, come on, Reverend Dr. Paul Reed. Thank you for that welcome, Steve. Great to be back. It's been two years since I was here. It's, it's this exact Sunday, actually. And uh, it's, it's just been incredible to come through the doors, not having been here. Well, we were here last year, actually, with one of our international meetings. Uh, but in terms of a Sunday, it's fantastic. Just want to say thanks for that welcome. And for those who are watching online and the live stream and in prison, great to have you with us. Just a little plug, I was, uh, we went to see the film Belfast last night, did anybody, has anybody been to see it? Let's have a look. One person, <laughs> two people, shame on you. You'll never be able to understand me unless you go. My, we, we went last night with um, my daughter, son-in-law and two grandchildren and at the end of it we were crying. Now, obviously, it evoked all sorts of things. I'm still a little bit weepy. Uh, it was very powerful. But uh, again, we, we're trying to teach our grandchildren here, very Cambridge, some, some sayings, you know. And so they're, they're fantastic. They can do it. They're, they're absolutely brilliant. Uh, the cast is completely from, uh, from Ireland, uh, except Judy Dench. And she, she does well, but she sounds Welsh sometimes. <laughs> you know, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, I want to I want to finish off your series on on uh, revival and talk about reviving your spiritual passion. I'm going to start just by a little tongue and cheek thing. I just want you to check these off uh, in your head. And uh, as I say, it's kind of tongue and cheek. But number one, check the following: if you sing, if you sing, your mind and mouth switch to automatic pilot during worship. Number two, the last time God answered a specific prayer is a distant memory. Number three, you hope no one will ask you what the Lord has been saying to you during your quiet time. Number four, you wonder where the joy went. Number five, you've heard it all before. Number six, if you do, if you do, you read the Bible because you should, not because you want to. Number seven, you're a lot more excited about football, new car, holiday, and music than Jesus. 
Number eight, you're not really sure that God loves you or you love him. Number nine, the things you were taught that were sinful and harmful are actually a lot more fun than following Jesus. And number 10, those happy, clappy Christians get on your nerves. Now, did I, did I hear a, bung, a bingo there? Full house? If you did, I need to talk to you right now, okay? Uh, as I say, it's a bit of, it's a, bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Uh, what, when talking about the whole issue of revival, um, the verse I want to bring up to you today is this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor uh, serving the Lord. Now, Paul says that because he recognizes that, that even those who are in Christ lose their spiritual fervor, and they need it revived on a regular and consistent basis. Paul says in Galatians, don't, don't be weary. You know, go get tired of doing the right thing. If you keep on doing it, then you'll reap a harvest at the right time. What does he recognize? That we get weary. And then, and then in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you will know that your labor is not involved. Because there's times in our lives when you flag. And if we're ever going to see revival in our country, then it's got to be because there are people who carry revival in their hearts and they live in revival and they live in spiritual fervor. In 1859, revival broke out in Northern Ireland. Five young people uh, met in a school hall in Kells and began to pray. In one calendar year, 100,000 people were swept into the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's the, the major revival in Western Europe. In, in the last 200 years. And, and uh, one story, of course, is true. Ian Paisley actually has it in his book on the revival, A River in Spate. And uh, it was talks of two uh, elderly women who were widows. And they, uh, they owned a, a pub, what's called a public house. And Jesus invaded their lives. And they got the whole village, my village, and they got all their alcohol and they poured it out down the drain as an evidence that they had met the living Christ. They were my great, great aunties. And because they came to Jesus, then their children came to Christ. My grandfather came to Christ. My mother came to Christ. When people are revived, it doesn't just affect your life. It affects generations. It affects your children. And it will affect your, your grandchildren. I suppose in thinking about passion and, uh, you know, having, having been to a lot of football matches in my life, I realize people say, well, men don't have any passion. That's not true. It, it extends, the word passion extends, you know, we, we, think of, uh, we think of sexual things, we think of, we think of, uh, uh, revolution, romance, extraordinary achievement. You know, there's a kind of a something that grabs us. Now, it can be a quiet passion. But, but it's something that seizes our hearts and our lives. And we, we, we push through into that which God has for us. I had a, a man once and he married one of the young ladies out of our church. And he left after two, uh, two months because he didn't like dancing. So three months later... I'm at a Northern Ireland football match. He's sitting four rows in front of me. And some of the announcer goes, let's all do the bouncy. Guess who's bouncing? <laughs> Him. 
Don't tell me men don't have passion. Of course, the reality is, and I've, I've discovered this, that when your passion is redirected, it's harder to get back than when your passion is simply lost. And often you do that. You say, well, I've lost the, the feeling for that. I'm going to focus on something else. People rise to the top of their lives and professions and sportsmen win prizes. Why? Because of passion. Can Christians get their passion restored? Yes, they can. Honestly, you can. Of course we can. We've all been there and we all realize that yesterday's passion cannot be today's inner power. And passion often quickly dissipates and needs constant restoration. Let me give you five simple things. Spend longer on the second group, five Ds and five Cs, okay? And so reasons and some things that, that, that lead to us being, uh, losing our passion. Number one, being spiritually drained. Number one, being spiritually drained. We all know what it is to be drained mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Priscilla and I did this Bible week in Canada just a couple of years ago. And they said, they just wanted to take some Bible studies. But at the end of the week, we had spoken 23 times between us. They wanted, they wanted me to come back. And I said, but you know everything I know about the Bible. I don't know anything else. Give me a couple of years till I get a bit more. And then I might come back. When we flew home, we were shattered. We had a, it was a fantastic week, actually. It was brilliant. It was the independent Methodists. It was, it was a wonderful week, but we were absolutely shattered. You give all that you've given, you've got nothing less. Listen, this has been a very difficult season. People, some people are bruised, battered, and bored. And I've, I've come out of it, not with a sense of, you know something, I, I, I'm just going to coast. I had a big birthday this year. Stephen, Steve's 10 years older than me. And uh, I had a big birthday. Or is it, oh, am I older than him? Let, let me, I'll work that one out. And, uh, I, and, I, and I, honestly, I just, something gripped me during lockdown. I said, Lord, I don't want to be bored. I, I don't want to be someone who is battered. I don't want to be someone who simply coasts in life. Lord, I want to maintain my spiritual passion. Could I say this? If you've given all you've had to give, and this has drained you, you are not a bad person. You're, you're not a bad person. It happens to people. Like Elijah, you know, sometimes you want to quit the very thing God's called you to do. And often you become super critical of yourself and others. It happens particularly to those who are actively involved in God's service. Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't make permanent decisions in a state of temporary emotional upheaval. That's the worst thing that you could do. Even Jesus recognized after a period of activity, what does he do? He takes the disciples aside. You get spiritually drained. Number two, and it follows on from being drained, you're spiritually dried out. Spiritually dried. It means running on empty. So it's a bit like coming back from that Canadian trip and landing on a, on a we, 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 we took off on a Monday, we landed on Tuesday. It's a bit like me doing another one uh, on the Wednesday. In other words, you keep on going when you haven't had time to get your spirit and your soul revived. You keep on going when you're drained. It affects people with natural gifting. I, I, I'm going to put it, it doesn't quite make sense, but please stay with me. If charisma relates to uh, gifting, then anointing relates to relationship. In other words, there are people who are naturally gifted. Now, you may not, you may not think this here, but I, if you woke me up at four o'clock in the morning 
I could give this sermon. I, I remember coming out, four young children, going down to speak in CFC, and Priscilla and I, you know, just as we were in the car, I remember one day, I, I used to sit and toot the horn at her. And she says, Paul, next week, I'll sit in the car and toot the horn, you get the four girls ready. <laughs> and we had, a, we had a blazing row. I, honestly, and, and I, I got up and said, Lord, I'm never going to be able to preach today. I preached a stonker. You know why? Because that's my natural gifting. And actually, musicians, I, that can happen to you as well. You can play a guitar no matter what mood you're in. It's just, it's just the way it is. But what you find is this. If you want to have what God has given you anointed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit... You have to have time with Jesus. And your gifting will keep you going long after the anointing has left you because you haven't had any time with Christ. And when you move in your natural gifting and talent and you keep on going, it leads to action without heart. And it becomes that your service for God becomes soulish. And often your best people are left dried up, susceptible to temptation and running on empty. You need your soul restored. You need it revived. Number three, being spiritually discouraged. There are events that happen in our lives over which we don't have any control and we find our passion drained. It can just take one phone call, one little quip that somebody says to you and suddenly you, you go. It happened to me recently. I, I was completely shocked. There was a couple of people I've known for, you know, I mean, a lot of years and one of them just said something to me and it cut me right to the quick. It just, and I thought, is that what you really think about me? And, and I was so discouraged over it. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 talks about, he says, we were under so much pressure, so intense, that we despaired even of life. In other words, it was, we just wanted to, we thought we were going to die. He's discouraged. Why? Because some people who once walked with him had left the faith. Weariness sets off. It, can be, it could be the death of a friend that somebody you'd prayed for. It can be the rebellion of a child. It can be a fellow worker who maybe used to stand with you, worship with you, and don't do that anymore. You might feel like a lack of appreciation after some hard work. I often used to think it's okay being a servant of Jesus until somebody treats you like one. Lucy, our second daughter, was the president of Trinity CU. I think the first woman ever to do the job. And they plan a mission. And in, in Trinity in Dublin, it's a small CU, you know, given it's about 50, 60 people. Some others are hundreds. Queen's University in Belfast, 700 in it. It's a massive one. This is small. They plan a mission. And they put, they put hours into it. They worked hard. Their big opening night came along. We were praying and supporting them, you know. And I, and I called her the next day. And I said, how'd it go, love? She cried. She said, Dad, we did all that work and nobody came. It was heartbreaking. And she said, what, what do we do? And, and, you know, thank goodness I had to do it. I came and said, you know something? That's happened to me. I said, there's only worse. There's only one thing worse than having nobody show up. That's having one person show up because you still have to do the meeting. I said, I said, wow. I said, you're obviously doing something right because you're being opposed. Keep on going. The devil has a plan to persuade us that nobody wants to hear the gospel, that we've nothing to offer this society, and the gospel doesn't work. 
And even if it did, they aren't interested. Sometimes you get really discouraged. I've been discouraged. Praying for people for years, seeing nothing happen. Keep on going. Number four, and this, I think this is the hardest one for me. You get spiritually disillusioned. Spiritually disillusioned. You dream big dreams that they never seem to work out for you. You know, when I first went to the John Wimber conferences, they were, they were having words of knowledge, more words of knowledge than I've had hot dinners. And they were seeing writing on top of men's head. And, they would, and they'd have a conversation on a plane and they'd reveal the secrets of their heart and then lead them to Christ. So I thought, I'm going to try this. I remember mid-80s, down into Belfast, looking around, saw a man. I thought, I've got a word for him. Followed him around Marks and Spencers. He thought I was a stalker, actually. <laughs> after about ten, sure, this is, and after about 10 minutes, I went up to him and I, I said, this is going to sound a bit strange. And I'm a Christian and uh, I feel that like God's given me a word for you. You've got two daughters, don't you? And he went, no, I'm not married. <laughs> God bless you. And away I went. I thought, I'm never going to do that again. I was just totally disillusioned. It took me ages to get that courage to be able to do something like that again. But there's something, there's something in, in disillusionment where you say, did God say? You, you, you doubt the faithfulness of God. People you've put in a pedestal, you realize they've got feet of clay and you get slightly disillusioned about it. You know, there's something that moves you from, from discouragement to cynicism. And it's a cancer in the church, actually. I used to say to people, if you're skeptical, come and talk to me. If you're cynical, you need to talk to God. That's a work of the heart. That really is a work of the heart. But spiritual passion is killed by disillusionment. And number five, being spiritually defeated. There's a weariness that comes into your life when you consistently and persistently fall to temptation. Which of us have never sinned? Please, uh, this, is, this is not to make you feel bad. Promises made to God are forgotten. And some things you never would have entertained years ago are commonplace in our lives. Peter says, Jesus, I'm ready to die for you. A few hours later, what does he do? With oaths and swear, swear words, he denies Christ. That's what we're like. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us to God and God to us. And if you live a persistently defeated life, you need your soul restored. You need grace to overcome. I, I, could I say this morning? If we're going to experience revival in our country, we've got to be in revival. We've got to carry it ourselves. Right. Never be lacking in zeal, Paul says. Never be lacking in zeal. And in other words, have that with you consciously all the time. Let me give you five critical choices, beginning with C. I was in the Plymouth Brethren, and we were great. We called the pea shooters. In other words, alliteration. You can take the boy out of the brethren. You can't take the brethren out of the boy, okay? And they're easy to remember. Five, number one, confession. Number one, confession. When I find my soul like this, I, I actually start, I, I, I don't know about you, but I shut down. And I stopped talking to God. And when Priscilla and I have a little bit of a spat, she's coming to the next service actually, she'll confirm this. I call it silent movie time. All picture, no sound. And I know, I know what she's done wrong. She knows I know what she's done. No, sorry. We know, we know what the problem is. We know what the problem is between us. But it's only when somebody starts talking that you invite a conversation. 
That's why, that's why in 1 John it says this, 1 John 1 and 4, if we confess our sins, that's where it starts. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We start with confession. We come to the place where we go, you invite, you say, well, why pray about something that God already knows? Because you, you, when you confess it, you own it. You say, Lord, this coldness in my heart is, is my, I want to talk about it. It's my problem. You own up to it. And you invite the Lord into the conversation. And there's something that, that begins to go. So you, you go to God and you tell him something that he knows. Why? But, but you do it because you want to reestablish relationship again. Could I say that there is no bypass of that one? If you want to live in revival with God, you come afresh. Not, you don't come and say, Lord, I'm a really bad person. But when there's a specific thing to confess, you confess it. And you start that process and you start to talk. And then it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That is, restore relationship. And here's the point, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you remember that, that picture of Peter or Jesus washing the disciples' feet? And Peter says, Lord, you're not washing my feet unless you, you just washed a lot of me. And Jesus says this, no, you're clean already. But you see, it's a wonderful picture. It's, of course, a servant picture. But it's a picture, of course, of the laver and the altar in the Old Testament. The priests had to, had to, offer, they had to offer, but they had to come daily and wash. And you and I are no different. We're clean. If you're a Christian, you're clean. You don't need to become a Christian all over again. That's not the issue. The issue is to be cleansed. And you start with confession. At the end of this, I'm going to invite you, just in your own heart, to confess what's been going on in your life and invite Jesus into the relationship. Number two, uh, communion. Keeping my heart right with God. I will choose to stay in communion with him. My relationship will not be distant or perfunctory. In other words, if I said to you today, do you love Jesus? What would you say? It's a, it's a really, it's a strange one, but because, you know, we, we can go through all the trappings of Scripture, but there's nothing touching our hearts and lives. Only engagement will, will do that. When Deborah was a little girl, my parents were, had been divorced for many years, and when Deborah was about four, she said to my mom, Nana, where's your husband? Kids of a... a and I've got the knack of just touching it. And she said, no, no, he doesn't live with me. And, he, and he, she said this, does he not love you? And uh, mom, had, uh, mom said, no, he doesn't. And then she said, does he love daddy? And uh, mom said, uh, the wit to say, although we hadn't, I hadn't seen him for years. She said, oh, yes, he does. He loves daddy. And a four-year-old said, well, he can't because he never comes to see him. There's something very powerful about having communion with Jesus. There's something very powerful about setting something aside in your life. And you're not me, and I'm not you, and you might express it differently, but you need communion with God. Uh, many years ago, somebody, used to, somebody, when I was preaching, they'd say, you're, you're good at telling us what to do, Paul, but not how to do it. Uh, can I recommend a little book, Brian Heasley's book, Be Still? It's a simple guide to quiet times. Long time since I've heard that word. <laughs> 
And honestly, it's nothing that I don't know, but I found it really refreshing. And if you want to get started, it's a simple book, but it's absolutely brilliant. Be Still by Brian Heasley. Get that book. It'll, it'll help you. And so I, I just want to ask you, is your devotional life strong? Are you in touch with God and inspired? I always tell the story wherever I go, and I've told it here, but I'm going to do it again. I've got a friend, and he's, a, he's, a, a, he's gone to be with the Lord now, but he had a, a farm and an orchard in County Armagh. Him and I were walking around one day, having a look at the trees, as you do. And, uh, and I said, Leslie, what makes a good apple? He said, Paul, take care of the tree, and the apple will take care of itself. And I said, let me write that down. There's a, there's a, I'm a preacher. Let me do this here. And he said, and I said, what do you mean? He says, if you chop off the, bad, the, the old branches, you keep the insects off it, and you water it and feed it, you know something? You don't worry about the fruit, because the end of August and September, you're going to get the best Bramley apples. I said, same with us. Don't worry about it. How can I be a more loving person? If you, if you stay in touch with Jesus, you keep the tree, you keep your relationship fresh, Cut those old dirty branches off, okay? Make sure no insects get into it. Keep it watered and fed. You know what's going to happen? The fruit will come in your life. The passion that should be there, you don't work it up. Why? Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory flowing through you. Something begins to change. Wouldn't this be a great day to start that again? What was that song that Joshua led us in? Resurrender. Resurrender. Number four, number 92. No, number, number three, call on commitment, call on commitment, and, and I, 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 I'll, I'll press on. But as I said, I had a big birthday just last year, which means this year. <laughs> anyway, I, I still find a call. I, I, find a, I've got, I still feel a call and destiny. I get excited about what God wants to do in my life and what he's going to accomplish through me in Ireland. I had, a, I had an uncle, Leslie, and one of my dad was the youngest of 13. And the, the number seven in the family, Uncle Leslie, he lived just over 90. And his 90th birthday, he drove down to we had a party for him. And I said, what gets you up in the morning? He says, Paul, I get up every morning and I think, who can I talk to today about Jesus? Honestly. And I thought, I want to be like that when I grow up. Fantastic. What a man. Something spurred him on. I, I, I am a herald of the gospel. I, I think things, things have definitely shifted in my life. Uh, the whole lockdown thing, before lockdown, the year before lockdown, 2019, I did 95 flights. And lockdown came and I went, I'm not doing that again. I don't want to do that again. And then as Steve said, I got a call just recently. Would I be interested in being the chaplain of the best club in the world? And I said, I will pray about that. Yes, I will. <laughs> it's my boyhood. I am a member and a season ticket holder anyway. I'm living the dream. You know, it's just fantastic. Five of that team are doing an alpha course. Wow. It's been fantastic. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. I read this recently. Andrew Wilson put this on his, on his Twitter feed recently. And he said this, in God's global mission, the role of extraordinary people doing exceptional things is probably far smaller than we imagine. And the role of ordinary people doing everyday things is certainly far greater than we imagine. It doesn't matter what you're called to do. 
recognize this. Wherever stage you're at in life, God's got something for you to do. Call and commitment. Let's give ourselves to God's call on our lives to be witnesses and, and light bearers in our society. Number four, community. Number four, community. I still believe the church is the hope of the world. And we've been actually referring to it to, today through that song. There's, there's no, there is no plan B. And I absolutely believe that we need to be in a place where we can have people that we fellowship and join together with. I need people around me who'll encourage me to, to walk in all that God has called me to do. And, and could I say this? I know that there, there are people, uh, you know, because of lockdown, we couldn't be here. Some people are still vulnerable. Some people are still nervous. I understand that. But I honestly, there's something about the church in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the, the imagery of, of us being a temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. But he uses it on two occasions to describe different things. One is, one is that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's you personally. And then he switches and it's you are, or in Ulsterism, usions. It's the plural of you. People say that, usions. That means you. So he's saying, he's saying that the church gathered, has the presence of God in a way. He uses a particular word that describes the innermost shrine of a temple. And in Jewish history, of course, it was the Holy of Holies. So what he's saying is this, that instead of being the old temple or tabernacle, what was God's dwelling place, the church of Jesus Christ is now the dwelling place of God. And that's why he says, he warns them against the division, because he said, listen, God will deal with you if, you if you try and destroy God's church. He's not talking about your body. He's talking about the church gathered. That's why when we come to, I don't know if you felt it today, but in the worship you just felt, God's in this place. God comes in a unique and special way that nothing else can, re, can recreate. We need to be in community. Wherever we are, community, something very powerful about that. And number five, as I close my message today, and it's this, character. Character. I'll not tell you what it was, but you know, God's really spoken to me about this uh, just in the last couple of days over a particular thing. But I, I just say, Lord, I'm going to put those things, but I'm going to continue to build my character piece by piece, choice by choice, in submission to the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a few things uh, in terms of what it'll mean to build your character. Number one, live what you preach. I find being a chaplain of a football club really important. Why? Because sometimes nobody talks to you. No, some people don't, but, but they're watching. Deciding to be is more important than deciding to do. Make sure your Christian profession where you work is consistent with what you say and how you live. Number two, do what you say. If you promise anything, do it with a good grace. Number three, be honest with others. Don't cover up or misrepresent the facts because your credibility will not be easily repaired. Number four, put what is best for others ahead of what is best for you. I find that a big challenge sometimes. They say that manipulation is getting people to do things that will benefit you. Motivation is getting people to do things which will help them. And number five, very simply, be transparent and vulnerable. You close others out, you won't get hurt and you won't get help. You open up, you might get hurt sometimes, but you'll get a lot of help. 
There's something about building our character, building our character. It may cost you, but if we're going to live in revival, we need to be a people of integrity. When Paul, as I finish, when Paul was writing to the churches um, and he wanted to check their spiritual health, he didn't say, how many people do you have? He didn't say, do you have a smoke machine or lasers? He didn't say how good the band is. Now, they're not unimportant. He said, were they faithful to Jesus? Were they faithful to the gospel? Were they people of integrity? If we're going to impact our world with revival, we need to be people who never are lacking spiritual zeal. As I finish right now, I'm going to pray for you. And invite you, if you feel comfortable, wherever you are, online, in prison, just to put your hands out. And start that process of confession. Invite Jesus in. You might say, Lord, I need to re-re-surrender. I need to give myself to you again. I invite you into my life. I'm tired. I'm dried out. I've got discouraged. I'm disillusioned. And Lord, there's sin in my life. Thank God for a Savior who comes in and rescues us. Fills us afresh with His Spirit in order that we might be the carriers of revival in our nation. So Father, we confess. We own it. We know that you're faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. Father, we commit ourselves again to having an active and a vibrant life in Christ with you. Lord, we acknowledge that we have a call and we need to be committed to it. Lord, we're part of a local church. Lord, may we be character builders for the glory of God. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Let's stand, church. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.